wanted to listen to women resisting violence, we want to learn lessons from them, and we want to find a way to feed into policy. So the podcast for me was a breakthrough between a survivor to be a voice for the community. The laws are not created by those who are most affected, but by white men. What message would you like policymakers to take away from what is captured? <laughs> I'm Renata Peppel, and you're listening to a bonus episode of Women Resisting Violence. In this episode, we share an online discussion held after the release of the podcast series with activists, organizations, and producers about the power of podcasts to affect social change. I'll start then the conversation opening up for Kathy McElwain. She's a professor at King's College, a geography department at King's College of London. And Cathy, uh, would you like to introduce a little bit about the project to the, the guests? So what I thought I would do is just explain a little bit about how we ended up creating this, this podcast series. And very, very briefly, this is a short version. It has its roots in a conversation that Marilyn Thompson, who's a gender consultant and the former director of the Central America Women's Network, CORN, um, and Louise Morris, who's uh, who you're going to hear from, you're going to hear from all of the team at some points tonight. Louise Morris, who's a radio producer and a very long time um, collaborator with the Latin America Bureau. We had a conversation pre-pandemic at uh, a Latin America Bureau council meeting. We, we are all and still we were and still are council members of the organization and we just started talking about things that we'd like to do and we discussed writing a book and it was actually Louise said Marilyn had already been involved with the book with another one of the members Patricia Munoz Cabrera Louise said oh audio that's the thing that's what you know you know let's not just write let's not use the use text let's listen and that was really the, the the roots of what we have today, which is this amazing project, Women Resisting Violence, which is a, um, a podcast series um, and also a website. And it is a collaboration between King's College London, uh, the Departments of Geography and the Department of International and, and International Development and the Latin America Bureau. So what we did is we managed to get some funding um, from the Economic and Social Research Council. And it's a, it's a small pot of money that, get, that, that basically funds um, academics, ostensibly, to think about interesting ways to share their research. So um, what we did is, is that we applied to this fund. And we also, as I mentioned, um, we, we got Patricia Munoz Cabrera, who is a gender consultant and who'd worked closely um, with Marilyn. Um, and had, I mentioned earlier, had written this book on intersectional violences. So we invited Patricia to be part of our team and also um, Yelka Boston, who is a professor of gender and development, as I said, at the Department of International Development. And Yelka is also, she's a, uh, an academic and uh, an expert in gender-based violence, specifically in, in Peru. So we became this team who were um, uh, working to create um, these podcasts. And so the, the sort of the key aim of the of the project was to firstly to try and capture the voices of women survivors of gendered violence in Latin America and specifically um, a range of innovative projects that had been developed. Um, and, and this obviously relates to the title, which is Women Resisting Violence, not just talking about women's experiences of gender-based violence, but how they were actively involved in resisting. Um, the other really important point um, to identify or to mention is that this is about Latin American women, not just in Latin America, but also in the UK, because one of the podcasts relates to, to Latin American women, migrant women living, living in the UK. So th that was the key aim to really think about capturing these voices. And so we created, as I said, a podcast um, audio series. And what is, it, what is a really amazing website? Not only do we have podcasts, but we have a range of really excellent blogs 
that have been created linked in lots of different ways with this idea and this notion of women resisting violence. So really this round table is a chance for us to reflect on the podcast, which really are the, the centerpiece of the, of the project. And just again, very briefly, um, just to talk about the, the sort of academic side in that two out of the three podcasts um, relate to academic research. Podcast two, which is on Brazil that we're going to be, we're going to be hearing about is part of a, a longstanding research collaboration um, between myself, um, Casa das Mulheres and Regis de Marais and People's Palace Project at, at Queen Mary University of London and the Federal University of Rio de Janeiro. And uh, Renata has been involved in that research and then the the uh, podcast three which is about step up migrant women and it's partly about their campaign this is a, a campaign that um, has been led by the latin american women's rights service and i've been working with Flores on four projects now and um in, in part it's about the step up migrant women campaign that we're going to be hearing about that's coordinated by elizabeth yanez jimenez um, but also talks about work by um, uh, Migrants in Action and Carolina Anguissini, who also participates uh, in, the, in the podcast through some theatre work. There's also an amazing project, which is Podcast One, which relates to the Guatemalan case. So I think I'll just leave it here and hand back to you, um, Renata. Thank you so much, Cathy. I'll move actually now to Louise Morris, which is the producer and writer of the, the podcast series. She'll talk a little bit about, about the project as well. Hi. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us to um, take part in this discussion. For me, I feel like podcasts have a very unique, intimate way of building empathy uh, for people whose stories that you hear. You're often listening on headphones and I feel you can always drop into someone else's shoes just for a short while. Um, obviously, one of the hardest things I think people find, particularly if you're uh, making podcasts about social issues, is reaching um, audiences who wouldn't usually engage with the subject of your podcast and uh, trying to draw them in. So I know that there's a lot of talented producers, campaigners and researchers and activists here tonight. So I'm really looking forward to hearing your thoughts on this later and how we can do that. With the Women Resisting Violence podcast, we were especially keen to use it in three main ways, um, as a tool to help raise awareness and sensitize people to issues around gender-based violence, to learn lessons from the work of organizations and what they're doing to mitigate it, and also hopefully create really long-lasting campaign material that the organizations can use in their work um, of influencing policy around gender-based violence. So as Kathy's already mentioned, we approached different women's organizations and were incredibly grateful that they were interested in collaborating and the production process was a little bit challenging as I'm sure most of you have um, encountered recently with uh, remote recording during the pandemic and making sure that everyone was kind of safe to participate and we made these three episodes. The first podcast is uh, focuses on a, a particularly uh, horrific case of 56 girls who were locked in a classroom at their state-run children's home just outside of Guatemala City in March 2017 when a fire broke out. Only 15 of the girls survived this blaze and four years later no one has been sentenced for these crimes. Uh, we'll be hearing from Steph in a little while from citizens group Ocho Tihash, who have been really unwavering in their fight for justice for the girls' deaths and also in their support for the mourning families. Uh, this case is really emblematic of deep-rooted misogyny and kind of the impunity rate as well in gender-based violence cases in Guatemala. Um, as Cathy's address, the second episode moves to Brazil, Rio's pioneering women's house, um, which is in the largest favela complex in, in Brazil, in Mare, Casa das Mulheres. And the third focuses on migrant women's experiences in the UK, uh, the work of the Latin American Women's Rights Service, um, their campaign, Step Up Migrant Women, and also Migrants in Action, Mina Theatre. Um, we're going to have a short clip now, which is from the trailer of the podcast, just in case uh, people haven't had a chance to listen so they can kind of get a feel about what we were trying to achieve with this. So, if Black women in Brazil are the ones who suffer the most from gender-based violence, it is these women that have to be there drawing up public policy. 
It was there that we found a refuge with one another. It was there that we came to understand the multiple forms of violence in the world. If you don't have the right to request emergency help from public services, how are you going to survive? The government wants to erase our children's memory, and I can't allow it as a mother looking for justice. You're listening to Women Resisting Violence. the trailer that was in English but um, something that was really important to us was to make these podcasts multilingual um, and as accessible as possible so you can hear our collaborators speaking in their own languages as well as in English or Spanish or Portuguese and um, when it wasn't possible to do three separate audio versions of each episode um, due to time budgetary constraints we also had transcripts which were made available on the website in the third language um, I think so many of us make sense of the world through multiple languages and something I've really noticed a lot uh, in the audio space is that there's more and more multilingual podcasts being produced, which I think is something really, really exciting. We were lucky to work with so many people, um, women who are from the same region as the contributors to dub their voices. Most of them had never dubbed before, but I think that their passion and also connection to the podcast cause is something that hopefully really comes across in their voices. For me, the best part of this project was meeting all of the brilliant people that helped make it happen. And I think it also formed almost a new network. Um, I was really, it was really nice to see, for example, at the end of sort of recording sessions, like different people were swapping details and making new links. Um, and this formed this new network of people committed to working uh, to prevent gender-based violence. Without further ado, I'd like to introduce uh, Steph Ariaga, of, uh, one of the co-founders of Ocho Tihash. Hola, mucho gusto. My name is Steffi. I'm part of this organization. We, we had never done a podcast. I think in Guatemala, this is not very frequent, only in some areas, but it's not generally uh, something that people use. So for us, it was something new. It was uh, a new thing to to be able to give the voice to one of the mothers who participates in this podcast, and it was very powerful to listen to her story. As a collective, we think it's a very useful tool mm, for the historical um, memory so that we don't forget all these girls who were victims of this crime because this affects not just this group of girls but a whole community of girls who are in these um, institutions uh, run by the government and are also suffering. So I think the podcast is an act of remembrance. And I think it's also a historical document that can that will stay and can be listened to many times and in different languages. So I think it is very, very valuable and it is very, a very good tool to, uh, to reach many, many people. We shared the podcast with the surviving girls and it was uh, quite strange for them. They were not used to this kind of thing. But we are all learning, all of us. And, and it is good that we, are, that we get used to this uh, medium. Very, very interesting. I was going to bring that, um, and I think we can discuss more further when we open for, for actually questions, which is something I would love to discuss with you guys as well, uh, from Guatemala and also from Brazil as well, from Favela da Maré, regarding as well accessibility and actually digital poverty as well, and how can this be overcome and how podcasts is also accessed and consumed by uh, peripheral communities and other communities as well. Thank you so much, Steph, for, for, for opening the floor for us. And we're going to have more questions very soon to you as well. I'll bring into the conversation as well, Andresa Dionisio. Steph was uh, part of the first uh, podcast. Now, Andresa um, is part of Casa das Mulheres, the Women's House of Maré, which is from, um, from an, an organization, Redes da Maré, based in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, in the largest favela complex in Rio de Janeiro. 
And Andresa uh, is a coordinator at the Women's House of Mare, which is an organization that is very well known and respected in the country. And there's amazing work with women in the favelas, peripheral communities in Brazil. Andresa, can you speak a little bit about the work in Mare and how the podcast has appeared to you? How was the impression and how do you guys use this communication tool in the community? Hello, everybody. I'm Andresa. I'm very happy to be here today representing a Rede da Maré. Maré is the biggest favela in Brazil. The network, of course, has strengthened and has used different ways during the pandemic. For example, we use WhatsApp and podcasting was another too. Unfortunately, podcasting is not something so widely used. And one of the main functions of Ready da Mare, and for sure for other organizations, is being an articulator. So I believe that podcasting could help spread the voice and could be more widely used. So together with the different actions, it could be, for example, also using WhatsApp. For example, we also help people who don't know how to read. And we have podcasts as this tool that can have a lot of information. It has information for different, very important foundations. So it's something that is really innovative, something essential. But I think that we are still in a process of constructing that to become something bigger. But we are still in that process. I know very well the work of Redi da Maré. So I know that the dwellers of uh, the favela of Maré use WhatsApp a lot. They record audio voices on WhatsApp, like to send them as short podcasts for the dwellers. Yes, now we have an institutional WhatsApp. For people, it's just a WhatsApp, but for us, it's a big channel. And we have also spread the podcast through WhatsApp. So WhatsApp has become the main tool of communication. Even now, for example, within the WhatsApp of the network, there is a point to speak directly to, to Casa das Mulheres to talk about violence, about sexual and reproductive health. It has been a great tool. Thank you very much. And now I'll move to episode number three, which is actually migrant women, Latin American migrant women here in London. And here I have Gilmara Garcia, Gil, with us, which is a peer support workers at LORS, Latin American Women Rights Service. And she's going to talk a little bit about the work that they do. And I know that there are other people here from this episode as well. Elizabeth Yanis Jimenez, which is coordinating the step of migrant women, and also Cal from the Migrants in Action. She's also here with, they all took part on this. Gilmara, could you... Uh, talk a little bit about the experience as well and how this indoors support the work and is used as a tool for actually communicating with different audiences about these social actions. I think that I need to start this conversation saying thank you for uh, the translating Spanish. I was so amused by by the podcast that I, I heard in three languages. <laughs> it was awesome. So, uh, the approach from Louise at first, uh, I was like, I don't know if I'm able to do it. But then when I start to do it and how uh, the approach happens, how embraced was was brilliant. Um, so my my experience, to be honest, because what happened, I started all this being a survivor. And then when everything starts to be becoming more as a campaigner was like okay how how to do it so the podcast for me was a breakthrough of uh between a survivor for someone that have a space uh to have a voice to say my experience was frustrating yes however it's an opportunity to now to be a voice for the community 
something that is wrong. So let's try to to make things uh, different, to 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 have more um, visual. So what happening with migrant women in the UK? So I, I'm I'm very grateful for it. Now that the episode was out, did you guys use this as some sort of engagement tool? Did you share with other members of the, the, the organizations that you work with how this, how this helped your, your work and, or supported your work in what ways? Social media is it's the main thing. So Instagram, Facebook, WhatsApp, as Andresa mentioned, it's amazing. Telling you that, oh, now it's... Um, huge uh, everyone know it not yet but i had this conscious that if i could use a proper analogy we had this material as a seed so this seed needs to sprout and in some point will be flourishing and the new generation will know that they are not alone they not we are not invisible as much they think that we are marginalized because we are a small community sorry we are not <laughs> so uh this is uh an opportunity to really really in some point um affect the whole community and the whole community say okay together we're stronger so the podcast for me and how to spread the, the information, it's awesome. By the way, what Kathy said about the book, it's an excellent idea. <laughs> I think that we are having here a, a material enough to do it so, and then uh, spread out for everyone. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you so much, you. This moment now is for when we open for more people to join in the conversation. And it's a moment for us to ask questions about the organizations that were featured in this podcast or also about the process of creating these podcasts. Just because I can see that it, it, I think Elizabeth and, and Carolina Kau from Mina are here, if they'd like to comment anything as well on the last episode, episode three as well, their participation or how this influenced their work too. Okay, well, I'm going to talk in Spanish because I think it's always better to use the mother tongue. So first of all, I just want to say, as Jill was saying, uh, thank you everyone for this invitation. As she was saying, it has been part of the work that we started doing with Kathy. What I would like to say is that we're LARS, Latin America Women's Rights Service, and we are formed and we are for the Latin American women. So we are composed of women, Latin American women, Renata is one of our trustees and from the trustees to the volunteers were all Latin American women, some of us also migrants. So the opportunity to create this podcast was amazing because it gave us the opportunity to Jill and myself that have been working together for some time and learning from one another. And it also gave us the possibility to visualize, as Jill was saying, the situation of migrant women in the UK because sometimes we are not visible due to migrant laws that are very tough and that criminalize us. So what I think it was uh, very well done in the podcast, it starts with the story or the history of Jill, what happened to her and everything that happened between what happened to her to now. And it's important to understand that this is not an individual case. This is something that happens to lots of migrant women in the UK. So I think it is also very well linked to the other podcasts because we're always talking about gender-based violence, but we're also talking about institutional state violence and how the state ignores and neglects women constantly. We don't neglect ourselves. We are neglected by these kind of laws imposed by the state. So it was very interesting. It was a very important experience for us and now I'm going to talk a bit about the work we are doing and the campaigns we're doing. So for us, basically, all this is a way to share what we've been doing in order to bring a policy change. So for me, as a coordinator of this organization, podcast is a very important tool that can be shared without any problem. It's actually quite easy to do so. We're going to start a new process related to legislation and I think podcast is going to be one of the tools that we're going to use 
to get to know the context and to let everyone know about this context. And finally, I would like to talk about the translation of the podcasts and how this allows people that normally are marginalized because they don't speak other languages. Well, this gives them the opportunity to access this information. And I think this is something very powerful. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. Amazing talk. Do you want to share a quick insight as well on this? I'd like to thank for being part of this episode here. Thank you for the work you're doing. If they had not been working daily about this, Amina would not exist. I'm Carolina, and I founded a project for uh, Brazilian women in the United Kingdom. And through art, we bring women together politically to, to bring their stories and tell part of our stories here this part marked by music. So when I started to bring Mina together, it was material like this podcast that tells our story, our trajectory. And this episode gave a context to the work that we do and highlighted the importance of our presence collectively. Gilles was able to develop her work through Lewis uh, Laws because it's a collective of women and all connected for the same goal. Our work together brings greater visibility that can affect public policies. So this episode put into context the situation and uh, having the translation in different languages is that we can also inform Brazilian people in Brazil. Many of them immigrate, and there is also the human trafficking network, but we can inform them as a way of preventing this. What I see is that it brings the context, but also prevents and brings visibility to our daily fights. Thank you so much, Carl, for this, for sharing this with us. I'll open the, the floor now, actually, to any questions that the audience might have. There's a, um, a question here, which is directed to the, to the team who produced the podcasts as well. It's about what is next after this podcast? What is going to be, be done with this? What's, what's the next chapter? Officially, the project um, is, is finishing very soon. Um, but the other thing that, and I, and I, I sort of mentioned it right at the beginning and when we had the first conversation, Marilyn and Louise and I, um, and it was, uh, thinking about, uh, writing a book. And this is where our other colleague comes in, Patricia Munoz Cabrera, because she had written this, um, uh, excellent book on intersectional violences. And um, so collectively, uh, there, there was an idea that, that we would think about um, a sort of an updated, but a revised sort of different version um, of, of um, uh, what, what Patricia started. And so we're currently working on that. Um, at the moment, like all things, these things also depend on funding. And at the moment, we don't have any uh, follow-on funding for the for the podcast. But I don't know, Marilyn, if you would like to come in and say anything on 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 that. Hello, everybody. We also have um, a plan to have another round table, but with um, policymakers. So we want to try and reach out to people that make decisions for them to hear your voices and to hear the sorts of things, activities that women are uh, doing in, in Latin America and try to make some changes if we can. Um, and well, we're working on uh, this book at the moment, which um, we're trying to capture some of the experiences and activities of women's organizations in different parts of Latin America and here and to be able to share those with a wider audience. Patricia's um, first book was, it was a very academic book looking at the theoretical um, research and we're trying to make this much more sort of accessible sort of interpretation of what we mean by intersectionality. It's become very 
sort of latest buzzword. Um, but it's, you know, it's much, we want to, people to really understand what does that mean in practice to reach out to women from different communities and how violence affects them and what the different types of violences are that affect women in Latin America. So watch out, hopefully it's going to come out later this year. <laughs> Anna? Yes, I'll speak in Portuguese. I'm Brazilian and half Bolivian. And first of all, I'd like to thank you for this project and congratulate you. It has put together a few stories, very important, uh, that are the girls in Guatemala that many people didn't know, specifically women even here in London and in uh, Brazil. I believe the book is very interesting, but I believe the podcast will have greater penetration. I don't know speak for too long, but I want to ask Jill a question because she's very engaged, especially because of her story. And she's a social worker. She's very involved with the fight of the migrant women. So it's not to think in terms of that specifically, but immigration in general. You feel like the fight's going to be more difficult now, not only for what's happening with the bridges, but also for the conservative party. As we have been reading in the newspaper, it's becoming a little harder. And this person, the Home Office right now, is a very difficult person. Are you, Gio, uh, optimistic, thinking that um, you'll be able to overcome this because they are coming with everything towards you. Do you believe that it's become more difficult in this moment? Since the beginning, it's difficult. Our our work uh, is to keep fighting. To we try to put some word in amendments. And then they create a little barrier, and then as a policy work, isn't it, Elizabeth? <laughs> and then we found ways to keep trying to overcome, because we know that we found a solution, or they will ignore, or they will say, "Yeah, it's not that serious." So, but we know how important it is to to keep this um, fighting. So difficult is but we are not giving up. <laughs> what message would you like policymakers to take away from what is captured in these podcasts? If Andresa would like to comment something on this. I believe that one of the questions is that the laws are not created by those who are most affected, but by white men. That's the most important thing. Black women should be the ones involved. The laws should be thought by those who are going to benefit from them. In the House of Women, that's one of the things we have there is a political front because we are in the third sector, economic sector. It's not a matter of just creating and bring this demand forward. No, we are trying to generate data and then see if they can affect policy. That's what we are doing. We see this is key. I would like to say that the policies that we hope that will change substantially can start changing from our spaces, even though this is difficult to believe. I don't think we're only activists. It is not only related to activism. This is an act of remembrance, as I was saying before, and I think we are creating pressure because, as my colleague was saying, the police makers don't make these laws thinking of others, they just think of themselves. So what we are hoping is to bring a new legislation that takes into account girls, women, also adolescents, all of those who are marginalized and are out of the society for politicians and policymakers. So I think we could start working on this and creating a new situation through podcasts, using them as a platform, as, as uh, long as other tools that are very innovative and can really make a big change in the economic and political 
uh, context in our world and especially in our country. Thank you so much, Stefan and Gilles, for your uh, a final remark on this as well, on this question. Look, how I feel that this project was a way to remove us from a bubble of no knowledge. I didn't know about what is, I, originally I came from Rio, but I didn't know about uh, the Casa das Mulheres. And seeing that, being informed about, it's like, how can I help? <laughs> so yes, it's amazing knowing um, MENA project and all that. So yes, connected. And this is an amazing opportunity to join a fault to try to sort it out something bigger because it's not just one isolated case. We have a range of things that we need to be worried about and try to seek for changes. So if we change the, the structure, then of course uh, the future and, and we could avoid the systematic problem that we are facing. And consequently deliver message for people knowing that, hold on, I can, I can have a voice and they're not ignoring us. So definitely this is what we want from, from this opportunity uh, to, to say then that we know what is wrong and we want to change. And if it's not happening now, we will happening soon because we keep uh, spreading all these issues to, to see uh, good results in some point. We have the second part of this, of this conversation, which is directed with some prompts for us to think about. I don't know if you want to read it, Louise, for us. Yeah, sure. So these are just um, some thoughts really to help the discussion. And like I said, that I know there's so many people who are involved in communicating these issues. So I'm really keen to hear um, what, what we can learn from you. The first is how, how can podcasts potentially be a useful tool to communicate human rights issues, influence government policies um, and sensitize people to the experiences of others? And another, how do we reach audiences less likely to know about the rights issues we are podcasting about? Do you know of any podcasts which have achieved change at a policy or institutional level and how were they successful? And how best can organizations, activists and podcasters collaborate on podcasts for social change? And who can human rights in, uh, podcasts impact? Is it sort of the general public, survivors, NGOs, policymakers? And I think to, to start the questions, um, yeah, we're really lucky, as I said, to have some very talented producers who work on these issues. So um, I'll, I'll go first. I'd like to ask Catalina May, who's from Las Raras uh, podcast, uh, Historia de Libertad, a really wonderful um, Latin American podcast. And uh, Catalina, I'll, I'll, I'll let her sort of introduce herself. But I'm particularly interested in how you work with people uh, to tell their stories and um, this process of kind of building empathy through your work. Thank you for inviting me. I am from Chile and we have a um, podcast and we tell stories from different places in Latin America and we call them stories of freedom. They are stories of people who break the rules in order to achieve a social change. And I think, um, talking about um, podcast as a medium, I think it is very powerful because it does generate um, some intimacy with the listener. It has a big power to communicate stories. It is very linked to the emotional memory of, of, of people. It's like speaking to someone, like whispering in their ear. And, and telling stories about, for example, uh, women who survive violence, I think it is um, a very, very powerful communication medium with which we can achieve our objectives of breaking barriers. I would just like to tell a short story 
which is called the network, and that that's a network in Colombia, solidarity uh, amongst women, which uh, was born during the pandemic to help um, women victims of violence, as, as we know that this uh, problem um, increased, unfortunately, during the pandemic because people had to spend more time together, some people in violence um, in the family. This network of women um, was based on WhatsApp and the women could send messages to each other to support each other. I, I think this is it, it's a it's a story with sound, and and I think it is a, an ideal uh, subject to um, communicate via a podcast. I mean, in theory, all stories can be told in in a podcast forum, but um, as but I think this one is particularly good. This subject, the fact that podcasts are based on sound. Uh, we need to really think about that and 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 how powerful that is. Sometimes uh, not uh, the best uh, stories you want to hear, but I mean there are real stories. There are messages, um, instant communication from these women who are seeking help. So I want to reiterate that podcast has a lot of potential, and I think we need to know all the, the the way to really use this medium the best in the best way thank you so much Catalina. i remember that episode it was very powerful and moving <laughs> we also have uh, silvia vinas here from el hilo podcast and radio ambulante and i wondered if you would be able to tell us about how you have kind of broadened the audiences that you reach with the work that you do? How do you reach the people that maybe wouldn't hear about the stories that you uh, broadcast on El Hilo or Radio Ambulante? First of all, thank you for inviting me. It's a real honor to be here. I, I listened to the podcast and I thought it was incredible. In um, Radio Ambulante, we have uh, been talking about um, creating a story about these girls. I think we have lots of different stories and our audience listen to El Hilo to find out what's going on in Latin America. And then suddenly we have a story about women in Latin America. And sometimes some of our men listeners, for example, uh, if we have um, a story about abortion, they are surprised, but we know who we are talking to. And I think this is very important. We need to know who our audience is and we need to speak to them in a friendly way. Because sometimes the language that we use, we need to make sure that this language is understood, whoever listens. And this is something that we always think about. We're always very aware who we're talking to, what we need to tell, what the context is. And as Catalina was saying, uh, the chapters that create more, uh, more of an impact are the ones that tell personal stories and those are the most engaging. For example, women in El Salvador who are in prison because they had miscarriages. So that was a very powerful story that provoked a, a big reaction. Uh, many people didn't know the, this story and they were very surprised. And to listen to one of those women, now she's free, is, is very, very powerful. But I think the trick is to think about who you are talking to and to talk in a friendly way, to talk in a way that is understood. We don't want to confuse our audience. We don't want them to get lost, to feel lost. And, and for us, um, it is important to offer a variety of subjects. For example, we talk about petrol in Peru, but then we also uh, talk about uh, a church in Brazil. Very, very, very varied stories. And that allows us to reach different audiences. Maybe an audience that wouldn't listen to that, but um, they are listening. And then um, by chance, they find out about all these other things. Gracias. Muchas gracias, Vivian. 
I also know there's some other producers here from Mexico. So uh, Diego, I don't know if you or Luis are willing to share some of your thoughts on podcasting for social change. And I guess what you believe the power of podcasting can be, what more can we do to make the most of this tool? Bueno, pues, eh, abrazo, de verdad, es, es... First of all, a big hug. It is amazing. It's so interesting. And I am learning so much. It is amazing what you are doing. And it is a real need to learn about all this and to support it. I think we've said very important things here. I think uh, podcasts are, um, it's a very intimate tool. I like the, that expression of whispering to someone in their ear. It's like being around a fire. It's something that fascinates you and you can't stop watching. It's, it's an explosion. It's a metaphoric explosion. All these stories, very intimate stories. And, and I think that's very powerful. Something very deep, very private and intimate. I think a podcast is an amazing tool and also to be able to have translation and interpreting, to have the chance of different languages. I think this is very important. It's amazing that uh, knowledge is always reduced in a form, on a communication form, and it all needs to be communicated somehow. And so podcast and the translation of podcast is a way of communicating what we have close to our hearts and, and, and to talk to our communities in our own language. So I, I think I'm very, very um, hopeful um, with the power of um, podcast. I think it is incredible. It's a way of communicating, a way of building the, this hope. What we said before about the, the WhatsApps of women talking to each other, they are real stories. It's real hope. It's real life. So it, all this hope is real hope. And, and, and it's um, something that uh, we can do collectively. So I think we need many, many more conversations like this one, because that is going to be very, very helpful all over the world. It's going to allow us to manage and to understand all these uh, stories and, and to be able to communicate them. Gracias, Diego. Thank you very much. We're going to be aiming towards wrapping up this amazing conversation with you guys. got to say, it's been a really wonderful moment here together. For those who haven't listened to the podcast Women Resisting Violence so far, I urge you to listen in English, in Portuguese and Spanish, and let's keep sharing this amazing work. Thank you so much, Renata. And thank you, everyone, for your fabulous conversation. The roundtable was really here to discuss the podcast project and its potential for social change. And interestingly, everyone came with that idea to the table. Uh, we wanted to listen to women resisting violence. We want to learn lessons from them. And we want to find a way to feed into policy. We've heard from the podcasts, from the stories in the podcast and from you all today, that women are very willing and able to do the work of social change, including providing the services and drawing up the policy, which is a, a, a big deal. I think that from all your interventions, first from Steph, Adressa and, and Jill, but also from, from the comments later in the conversation, I took away six main points. First, that podcast is a means to listen to those affected by violence, a means to denounce that violence, and a way to remember and record that memory for the future. I think that's important. It's a way to record, archive, keep uh, the voices of resistance. Secondly, the podcasts are there to inform women. This was particularly in the case of Marie. Andresa mentioned this, to inform women, uh, but also to allow these women to speak to wider audiences and that both these processes are empowering in themselves. 
Thirdly, that podcasts are a means to affirm community and grow by making links and sharing with other communities, i.e. to further collective action. Fourth, that podcasts give visibility to the everyday battles of women resisting violence locally as well as transnationally, which is a, a, a big thing that, that podcasting gives us, of course. It crosses boundaries. Fifth, that listening to those most affected is essential to change the world and to change the political structures that uphold violence and impunity. Jill, your point was very well made, you know, and others said it as well, is that the listening to the most effective, affected must um, actually affect the political structures that underpin the violence in the first place. And then lastly, the last discussion um, uh, by some of you who, who make podcasts is that it creates an intimacy between the speaker and the listener and that that intimacy in itself improves communication between victim survivors, affected communities, as well as between these affected communities and wider audiences. And again, I think that it's really important that that, that, that intimacy crosses borders without us even noticing it. It's, it's this, this crossing borders, crossing communities and literally borders in a global world that we live in. I really enjoyed the conversation. It's really, really useful. And it actually creates more depth to what we did in the episodes themselves. That was the hard work in creating the episodes. And this discussion, it allows it all to come out. So thank you very much, everyone, for being here with us tonight. Thank you so much, everyone. And have a great night, great afternoon, wherever you are in the world. And thanks, Renata. You were amazing. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Ah, gracias. Obrigada. Ciao. <laughs> Ciao. Obrigada. Gracias. Thank you. Soy la que pega en paredes las fotos de tantas desaparecidas. Soy la que pinta grafitis. Thank you to our speakers, Stefa Reaga, Jumara Garcia, and Andresa Dionisio, and our contributors, including Cowan Grisani, Elizabeth Jimenez Nanez, Catalina May, Silvia Vinas, and Diego Morales and to our interpreters as well. Thanks to Jano Media for producing this bonus episode and to the Women Resistant Violence team, Kathy McAwain, Yelka Boston, Louise Morris, Marilyn Thompson, Patricia Munoz, Abreda, and Rebecca Wilson. Information about the project and all the organizations featured is available on our website, www.wrv.org.uk. This event was held online by the Latin America Bureau and the Gender Studies Network at King's College London, and this episode was produced by Jano Media, featuring music by Rebecca Lane. The Women Resistant Violence Project was funded by the Economic and Social Research Council, ESRC, Impact Acceleration Account held at King's College London.